Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to church. My name is Travis. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. I'm so thankful that you have joined us this morning. What a privilege that we have to worship the living God um, who is so worthy of our, of our worship. And so thank you for being here today. Uh, we are in, in a series uh, called More Than a Name. We're looking back at the book of Acts, uh, specifically at chapters 11 and 13 at the church uh, in Antioch, which is uh, why uh, that our, our church is named Antioch. It didn't just roll off the tongue that well or sound cool. It just, it was actually a, the word of the Lord uh, that, that spoke over this, this movement of churches that plant other churches, uh, that you are to, to live out the values of the kingdom, much in the same way that, that we see represented at the church in Antioch in the book of Acts. And so we're looking back at that just kind of as a vision series. This is who we are. This is who God has called us to be and the, the way that each of us are needed with our specific gifts and experiences to come and be the body of Christ, uh, to live out the call of God uh, upon us as a church. And one of the things as we've been in, in the, uh, this, this Acts 11 and 13 that I'm reminded of is actually back to, to Acts chapter two which is when the, the church was first birthed and, and where uh, you, you see the description of the early church that is now there in Jerusalem that's now being reproduced at the church in Antioch. And so I wanna read that for us real quick before we dive into the message because it, it's also will lead us into something I wanna bring as a challenge to us this morning as a church. So in Acts ch ch chapter two, verses two, 43, Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47, uh, we, we read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this is the, the birth of the church. Just before this, 3,000 people had given their lives to following Jesus and said, what, what must we do to be saved? And they begin following him. And what, what it comes from that is, is the church. And, and there's so much that you could say about Acts 2, 42 through 47. In fact, we've done an entire series just focused on what God was doing in the early church and how we wanna implement those things into the life of our church. But the thing that I wanna call to our attention this morning is how they were in it together. This group of people, it says that they devoted themselves, that they met together, that they shared with one another as, they, as, as people had need. They, they, they came together around, around the, the word of God, the teachings of scripture, and and, and there was this community. In fact, it was much of that community that I believe attracted the world around them. They saw something in this community that was different than anything that they had experienced in relationship with others. And, and we see as much when Jesus prays in John chapter 17, that he prays that they, they would see in, in, in us and the way that we love and serve one another, uh, something different that makes them say, wow, this, this Jesus, he really was sent by God. And so that, that, this is our heart is to do life together in the context of community um, because that, that's what was modeled for us. It's something that we see the, the need in uh, be, be, and something that we actually have a sense of fulfillment by being a part of. And so what I mean by that is as a church, a local church here, Antioch Community Church, there are there is made up of a group of people that have specific skills. They have uh, unique experiences. They have gifts from the Holy Spirit that all come together to build up the bride of Christ. And biblically, we see that each one of those gifts, each one of you uniquely are needed to see this church become what it was intended to be. And so we, as I, I did this last week, I know this is a season of the year where, where, where people are, are checking out churches, they're getting back into the groove. Some people have moved, starting new seasons or phases of life. And so one of the things I, I always love to encourage people to do is to, to be involved in the church. 
to find a group of Bible-believing, Jesus-exalting believers that, that wanna, wanna run hard after Christ and say, this is where I'm going to commit my life. I'm gonna commit my service. I'm gonna give my time. And it's important to, to find that group of people so that you can be to the church who you are and so that you can receive from the church who those around you are, so that you can be known and so that you can know others. And in that, that we, de- we have the opportunity to develop a sweet community that spurs one another on, that encourages one another on and to life and godliness in Christ. And so we, we believe that. And one way to do that, and we've been encouraging you in different ways to getting involved in life groups and different things over the past few weeks, but another way to do that is to serve. And so I, I do that, I wanna share just a couple things this morning, not just as a plug because there are needs, but actually because of a biblical principle of, of service. I, I think of places like uh, for, for when Jesus uh, washed his disciples' feet and they had a, a reaction, probably a, a right reaction for their culture in their day saying, master, ra- rabbi, teacher, don't, what are you doing? You know, you're not supposed to wash our feet. We have servants for that. We, we have people that would come and, and will serve us to do that, or, or we ought to be serving you and washing your feet. And, and Jesus says, no, though, though you're right in saying, I am your master and your teacher and all those things, I'm showing you a new way. That the, that the way that, that I lead is to model to you what I want you to model to others, and that's serving. Uh, and, and so Jesus in that place, he, he, though, though he is God in the flesh, he, is, he describes him taking off his outer cloak, uh, getting out a wash towel and a basin and getting on his knees and, and washing the feet of others. Quite, quite remarkable. And uh, when you think about God in the flesh doing that, but he did it, he says, to model for us how we ought to serve. Now, now, sometimes we wanna serve specifically in the place of our gifting. And actually that's what our desire is as a church leadership team and staff. We love, it's one of my favorite things to do is to find where people are gifted and what they're passionate about and getting them plugged in to that, to that area. I, I, I love it. And you, you see it demonstrated in, in people around you. And you're like, man, you're really operating your gifting. We see it in our worship team. And these guys writing songs and this and that. It's like, that, that's awesome. Uh, and yet there's other times where Jesus models, hey, yes, I am the son of God, but I'm going to wash your feet to model that where there is a need, I'm gonna jump in and serve. It's not just where, uh, oh yeah, this is the thing that rabbis do. It's like, no, if there's a need, I wanna serve. I wanna, I wanna jump, jump in there. In, in fact, uh, what are our guys playing the bass this morning? Ian, he's probably around here somewhere. I don't know where he is. But I, I loved it about Ian. We needed a bass player. He's musical, but had no idea how to play the bass. He's like, I'll learn. So he comes back in a month and the guy's good enough now to play bass, you know, on a Sunday morning. It's like, okay, he saw, he, you know, saw, saw the need. It's like, hey, I, I, maybe I can fill that need if nobody else is able to fill that need, right? So I'm just gonna get a step in and do it. And so, so, so there's, there's a heart there. of just like, we wanna be a, a people that serve. And so um, I wanna point your direction in, in a certain way here this morning. If you have a heart to serve and, and you're a part of this church, I actually wanna challenge you to serve because not only are there needs in the church that, uh, that, that we have, but also I believe it's, it's part of a fulfilling thing for you as a, a part of the body to say, hey, I, I get fulfilled as I build up the body of Christ uh, by serving. And so some of the things there might be up here that's like, man, I, I really love that. I enjoy that. Um, there's one particular need that I'm gonna share with you this morning that's just, hey, we, we need you. And that's in the area of our kids ministry, which is blowing up, which is so exciting. Uh, there's so many kids over there each and every week um, and, and we need people serving. And, and I wanna give you a little vision for our kids ministry. Uh, not, not only is it blowing up in, in the way of numbers, but these guys are experiencing God. Uh, every week, my kids are coming home and they're telling me who they prayed over during worship time, who prayed over them. They're like praying over one another, ministering to one another, learning how to, to hear God's voice, to know his heart. They're coming, they're, they are faithful. And I don't know about some of you parents in the room, but often I'm getting, you know, conviction off things that they're saying about what we're not doing or why we said that or like, okay, yep, you're right. Like, yes, thank you, Jesus, for the little Holy Spirit in my life here. And um, 
so, but there's an amazing things going on in our kids' ministry. And so when I wanna, I wanna call out a fallacy that I think sometimes we believe is that, oh, kids' ministry, I don't, I don't really wanna do childcare. I'm not really the babysitting type. But that's not babysitting going on over there, okay? There is an investment in the kingdom in the next generation. I think there's something you're probably gonna receive from the kids, uh, but there's also an inheritance over there waiting for somebody who'll say, hey, I'll step in and serve and teach and walk with these kids. And so whether you have kids or not, uh, I, I'd encourage you to pray about, God, is there a place for me to serve there? I'm seeing a lot of turquoise shirts around here. You get a free t-shirt too, it's awesome. Um, but, I, but, but I wanna say this also for, for, for you parents, um, uh, we're gonna be encouraging you to serve. And I wanna invite actually Dallas and Sophia Tocher to come on up at this point. And they've been serving our kids ministry for years. Yeah, and give them a hand. And they've just been such a valuable asset to our kids ministry team. We asked them to come share a little bit about their heart of kind of what they've received as well as the, the, you know, the opportunity of a need that they've been able to meet. So you guys go ahead and share. Hi. Okay, yes. Like Travis said, I have been serving on and off for the past couple of years, but I just jumped in um, over the summer like every other week. And I am here to tell you that it is very spiritually rich over there. And I just, no matter how busy the morning was or how crazy my week was, I'm continually just filled up every time I step in. And again, like Travis said, it's not, you know, they don't, um, they really do teach that the kids have the same Holy Spirit that we have. It's not a junior Holy Spirit. And so um, that is really huge in just the way that we, um, are experiencing that anytime we go in. The lesson plans are done. We don't have to come in with any kind of like pre-planned thing. We just step into this, you know, beautiful plan that they've already laid out for us. And we just are there to facilitate a small group. Um, and so every time, you know, I generally have like the same group of kids, which is really sweet. I get to see them and ask how they're doing, what was their highlight, low light, and how I can pray for them. And then, um, you know, we move into worship. We have just the same dynamic presence of God that we have in this room is over there, and it's so fun. And then um, we do nations prayer. They're praying for the nations. I'm just sitting there listening to their awesome prayers and just getting blown away. Um, and then we have the teaching time and, you know, another small group thing and just prayer. So it's, it's amazing. And I think just too, as a mom, you know, with my kids are all in school now and we're all running in a thousand directions during the week. And so it's just amazing to get to pull together in one room on, you know, a couple times a month and just really, you know, hear the same thing, worship God together. I can go and pray over them or I can pull them in and say, let's go pray for this, you know, this friend or whatever. And so it's just a really sweet time to get to do um, life to, together. Amen. Uh, I just want to also speak to just parenting in general. Uh, dads, I know you got uh, maybe disconnected from the kids throughout the week. The weekend is a time to, to reconnect. Um, if you've been parenting for a while, sometimes we can, as parents, can get in a little bit of a rut. Uh, kids ministry, I'm here to say, actually has refreshed my parenting. Uh, it's brought a lot of creativity. Thank you, young adults, college. You've been an inspiration to the parents. Uh, but it's, it's revamped my parenting. Uh, it's brought joy. It's brought tools, creative tools, to speak in uh, to my kids in a certain way, to speak into other kids. Uh, so, and then also, um, we've been, we actually came to Antioch nine years ago. Uh, and after the first year, we really felt a strong conviction uh, toward Colorado. Uh, so we moved. And after about a year, we had a very deep passion from the Lord to return. And one of the biggest reasons was actually the Antioch vision for kids. We came back, we moved all the way back, guys, and said, we're sold out to being in this community because there's a vision that is carried in this community over the kids that they are life changers, they're world changers, that uh, it's a place where they can thrive and be called out on who they are, who they were created to be. They pray, like Travis said, they pray over each other because they actually carry the presence of God. And so when you serve, yes, it's about serving, but you're going to be actually changed when you serve. And furthermore, I, I alluded to the creativity and the, and the youth and the vibrance. 
Parents, if you're wrestling on serving, I really would encourage you to do so. You carry an, an element of authority uh, that is very valuable. There's an element to serving our kids and shaping them that is responsible for a community. And when our community comes together, it is super, super powerful. So hope that helps. So good. Thank you guys so much for sharing. I think um, one of the things that uh, we're gonna be asking parents to do is to uh, once a month to, to help out in the kids' ministry. And uh, part of that, again, is there's a need because of the grow, growing nature of our kids' ministry, but also because our heart is to disciple the entire family and, and to, to really give parents the, the, the vision and handrails, guide rails to how do we, can we disciple our kids? We believe that on Sunday mornings when those two things come together. While as the church, we wanna supplement and help support families as they disciple their kids uh, on Sunday mornings, some of those things come together. Some of the language, some of the things that we're learning and teaching and uh, you know, like kids are doing jam time and soaking time and often they'll have some of those things that they're bringing home to spend time with Jesus throughout the week. And so coming together, making like, hey, we're, we're on the same page and we're in it together. And even with some of the, our, our nursery kids and different things, the opportunity and privilege uh, to hold, to care for, to pray over these, these, little, these little ones and in, investing in that way is, is significant. And I believe that God is gonna do great things in, this ne- in the next generations and we have the, the opportunity and privilege to, 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 be, to have an inheritance there as, as, we, as we serve. And so uh, one of the easiest ways that you can do that is you can uh, go to our website, neiphx slash serve, uh, and there's a whole list of things, uh, areas you can serve. Uh, if you're served specifically by kids ministry, it's on there as well. Well, you can also text serve PHX to 94,000, uh, serve PHX to 94,000. That'll take you right to that link uh, to sign up to serve. But uh, man, what, what a, we, we are the family of God. And it, it is a privilege to serve. Uh, it, it is something that Jesus modeled for us. And it is a privilege because it builds up the body of Christ, that we might be who God has intended us to be. And that's, that's something that we are, we're, we're jealous for, to be a church who rightly reflects God and his kingdom. All right, so let's dive into Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, we, I wanna read the entire passage again. Uh, read it all last week, and then we kind of hit the first half. I wanna read it again just to get the full context of what's going on. Then we're gonna focus in on the second half this week. All right, so Acts chapter 11, I'm gonna read beginning in verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So we have this church again that is now a beginning in, in the city of Antioch uh, because of the persecution that's broke out in Jerusalem against believers. And they begin to spread throughout the countryside. And, and what we looked at last week was how God was doing a new thing at Antioch, that, that there was a, a unique 
uh, manifestation of the gospel in that it was going, it was crossing cultural uh, lines. It was not just being shared and preached to the Gentile, uh, I mean, sorry, to the, the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles and the Greeks. And so what the, the, the began happening at the church in Jerusalem and to the, the, the disciples was like, whoa, this, this is, this is for, for more people than we even imagined, that, that this gospel is penetrating cultural uh, bounds and, and, uh, and, and experiences and religions and every, it is, it is penetrating all of those things and it is touching people's hearts. And so it was this new thing that God was doing where the, the gospel was, was moving in great power among non-Jewish people. And so the, the Barnabas is sent from the church at Jerusalem, one of the leaders there to check out what was going on. And he affirms that what was happening was evidence of the grace of God. It was said that the hand of the Lord was on him. And so last week we talked about the, the new things that God is wanting to do in our day and age and how we wanna be uh, right on the edge of what God is doing, not for the sake of being on the cutting edge of something, but just for the sake of being a people who respond to God. And who are saying, God, come and do what you want to do here in, in our generation, in our day, and, and, and let the grace of God be upon us. Let it be said that the grace of God, that the hand and favor of God is upon us as a people, that God is here. And that that would be the thing that draws people to himself. And so as we read on, I'm going to, to press through here because last service, I ran out of time and I didn't get to some things I really wanted to say. So I'm gonna skip some other things at the beginning. All right, I'm, I gotta, gotta learn, grow. So I wanna, I wanna skip, there's, there's so many things that, that are still left here, but there are two that I, that I really wanna make sure we have time to get to that I feel like God is highlighting. And so, so Barnabas has come and he brings in Saul. They end up becoming this, this uh, duo, this powerful duo that goes out and plants churches. We're gonna talk a little bit about that next week. But uh, they, they come in and they, they provide some leadership and they begin teaching the people for a year. And anytime there is an apostolic movement, again, we're gonna be talking about that a little bit more next week, where there is sending, where there is church planting. Uh, the apostolic is a, is a sending kind of a call. And, uh, and so when there's a church planting, call and, uh, and, and not only uh, multiplying life through planting churches, but through a, a small group model of ministry where life groups are the heartbeat of this church. And so we're, we're wanting to, to create new groups and see them multiply so that more people can come under the covering of God and into community. And that takes leadership development. That, that means that, that people have to be raised up to like, hey, I wanna, I wanna lead. And, and just to boil down leadership, so you don't have to have the like, oh, am I a leader or not a leader? What does that mean? Leadership, if I could just boil it down to, is, is influence. So we all have some level of influence. Obviously, there's leaders in our world that have a great amount of charisma and influence that we'll never have, but that doesn't mean that you don't have influence for the kingdom and for the glory of God. And so we bring that to him and say, okay, I wanna, I wanna grow in my influence for the glory of God. And so they were, they're raising up leaders. This is actually where, you know, the, the, the time that we see Saul, who will become Paul, really growing in his leadership and teaching. And, and that, that is gonna be seen in, in, in the, the great leader that he becomes. But uh, there's this, this leadership uh, that, that begins to happen at Antioch as they, begin, they will begin sending out people uh, to plant churches. And, and in that, right after it talks about Barnabas and Saul being there, it, it says this in verse 20, at the end of verse 26, it says, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, okay? So the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now the word Christian is very familiar to most people in this room. It's a, it is a, a term that is referred to, it refers to the people that, that go to church or that, that believe in God. Uh, obviously Christianity is now a, a worldwide religion and, and it's a very well-known term. But, and so we're, we're not sitting here and saying like, yeah, isn't that cool? That's why we want to be named Antioch because that's where they were first called Christians. It's actually this, that Christians simply means little Christ, little Christ. So it's not like, hey, what's a cool name that we could call these people? It, it was actually something more like, these guys look like Jesus. You know, it's like when you have a you know, family friend or whatever, it's like, wow, 
he is your son, right? Or your daughter, like little mini me version of you. Like you, you look like them, they laugh like you, talk like you, whatever it is. And, and so what a high compliment for, for people to come around the church or that have been, or been around to come to Antioch and see what was going on and say like, wow, you're like little Jesus is running around. Like you look like him, you, you talk like him. And so this is, this is our heart. And this is, this is our longing is that, that we would look like Jesus. Because unfortunately, that, that is not what is always being said about the church today. The people aren't coming to, in, into the, the, the general church in the West and saying like, wow, you guys just look like Jesus. That's not the prevailing thought in the world around us is like, man, if you wanna see Jesus, just go show up at a church. That's not really the, 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 the ongoing chatter about the church. And so we wanna redeem that because the church is to model and reflect Jesus that we'd be like a little, lot of little Jesuses running around. And because, because we wanna follow him and we wanna imitate him. We wanna become imitators of Christ. And so that, that's, our, that's our heart. And that's something unique about that church that what we feel like is a part of what God has said. That's what I'm calling you to to imitate me in that way where, where when, when people see you, they see me. I used to not think that my name was very cool and the meaning of it, it's at the crossroads. I, I still don't know exactly what that means, but when it's that vague, you can just kind of put it, your own meaning into it. And so that's been the desire of my life. Like let my life be a crossroads. Like I will look like Jesus and they'll either have to say, I'm gonna follow him or I'm gonna reject him. So it's that kind of thing. Like we, we would look like Jesus that we would say, hey, this, this is who he is. This is, the, this is the way that he loves. And so uh, that this, is, this is what was happening there. And so there's a couple of things that I think of when I think of imitating Christ. And obviously there is a, a lifelong pursuit of, of what it looks like to allow um, Christ to have his way in us, to increase in Christ's likeness. But two of the things that I, that I really think of, and I wanna focus on one of them today, and, and that is this, when we look at the gospels, and the narrative of the life of Jesus, the, the, the two things that really stand out to me are, are first off, a, a man that walks in great power. I mean, the, 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 the signs and the wonders and the miracles, and obviously that's what stood out to the people of that day, like, wow, we've never seen or heard of anyone who, who, who healed the sick, uh, where the leper was cleansed, the dead was raised, the demons were cast out. We ne we've never seen this, and so everywhere he went, it was very evident that he, he, was, he was walking in the power of God. And so there's something about boldness, there's something about walking in the spirit, there, there's something about, um, uh, be, be, uh, standing out in that way that, that I think it would be something for us to imitate Christ. Am, am I bold in that way? Am I, am I walking in, in, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in those ways? And there's places for us to grow there. The other thing that, uh, that I wanna focus on today that I think stands out in the life of Christ is his moral character, which obviously was flawless, um, and yet not only was his moral character flawless in that he did not sin, but the standard in which he called us to was higher than, than it had ever been before. It, you know, even c compared to the, the Mosaic law, which, which had its, its different you know, rituals and, and, and precise regulations, he called us to, to a higher standard, uh, that, that w of a, a standard that was written on our hearts, not just written on tablets of stone. And so the standard of, of living a, a holy life of being set apart. And so the way he lived uh, was, was, was marked by, by purity. We, we were called, he calls us in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount in, in, in Matthew to hunger and thirst after righteousness. So, so it's not just like hoping that we stumble into righteousness or, or hoping that if we just do our best that we will be holy, but there has to be a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? Is it something that we long for, that we desire, that, that we might be imitators of him? Because it's the way he lived and it's how he called us to live. So there's gotta be a hunger. We, we know that it's true, uh, you know, that, that that's, that's how we, are, we ought to live, but there, there, there has to be a point where there's, there's a hinge point from truth to action. And we pick up a little bit on that in, in verses like 2 Corinthians 7, 1, which simply says this, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, 
let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So therefore, so again, we think back to then what, what happened before that. In 2 Corinthians 6, it's talking about things like uh, that we are temples of the living God. What agreement then does the temple of God have with idols or idolatry? And so it's saying, hey, if this is who you are, your, your body is a, a temple of the Holy Spirit, then we, we don't really wanna have anything to do with the, the, the idolatry the temple of idols. And so it goes from this idea, okay, that's true, to therefore, since that's true, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And so it's this hinge point from like, I know that's true to like, you know, I've gotta, but I've gotta live it out. It's from truth to action. Letting this truth take, uh, take a foothold and get traction in our lives. And so you know, we, we have this hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when, when in the New Testament talks about this, it gets pretty serious about it. In Romans 8, we find this, this beautiful discourse uh, about life in the spirit versus life in the flesh and how we're to give ourselves to the spirit and say no to the flesh. And, and it's just this, this beautiful, uh, intricate passage about giving ourselves to the spirit of God in the way that we live our life. And in, in that chapter, we, we find in verse 13, this little passage, this little verse that, that really nails this thing of purity and holiness down in, in a unique way. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, to what you wanna do and what your flesh desires, your sinful nature desires, uh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so there's really this dichotomy that's being set up of, you know, of how you might die and how you might live. And basically it's your choice, but you've got to do something about it because if you live according to the flesh, you just go, go through life and you, you, you allow yourself to be tossed here and there, you, you'll die, you'll, you'll lose your way, you won't make it. But if by the spirit you're active and intentional about putting to death, the misdeeds of, of the body, then you will live. Simply put, kill sin before sin kills you, okay? This is how, this is how the Bible talks about going after. You better kill sin before sin kills you, okay? Because here, here's the issue that we have. It's the drift. It, it, it is the, the tendency that we read throughout history, church history, biblical history uh, of the drift of the people of God to the ways of the world. We see it all throughout the Old Testament, uh, especially when the Israelites would move into a new territory and they would have new neighbors and they would start to adopt some of the customs and practices and even the gods of these other peoples and God and, and the God would continually be beckoning them, come out from them and be separate. I, I wanna deliver you. I wanna bring, come out from them so that you might be cleansed, so that you might be freed. And so we see it throughout the Old Testament, just won't, won't you return, won't you come out and, and be separated? And, and really that's the phrase that we read in the New Testament, be holy as I am holy, it originated in the Old Testament. And it's God saying, be holy, be set apart Amen. as I am set apart. He is completely other than. There is no one, no thing that compares nor will ever compare to God in his power, in his, his love, in his abilities, whatever it is, he is set apart completely. And he calls us to be the same. As I am set apart, I'm calling you to be set apart, set apart from the, the world around you. And yet we have this drift and we just wanna look like, we wanna participate in the things that are around us. And we must always lean an ear into God that we might hear those gentle reminders and whispers and beckonings to come back, to, to stay close. And so again, it is something that we must be intentional with because the church uh, often gets accused of things like hypocrisy. 
you know, being holier than thou or, or thinking you're better than us, but you really you kind of live the same life. Uh, you, you, you have leaders uh, or, or high profile pastors in, in the church that, that commit sin and it becomes public. And, uh, and then again, people are like, see, this is, this is no different or, or all of those types of things. And, and here's the reality. Every professing follower of Christ at one level is or has been a hypocrite in that there are truths in scripture that you value and that you, you esteem and that you long to live out and yet you do not on any given day and that you fall short of it and you're not who you wanted to be and you didn't respond in the way that you wanted to respond. And that's a part of the journey of becoming more like Jesus when we can humble ourselves in that place where we can admit to our failures and at the same time say, but that's not who he is. I wanna be like him and I fall short. I have to do that with my kids all the time. Like that's, that was not the heart of God. I'm trying to teach them about the father of God. And I know that for them, I represent that, especially in their younger years. And so I, I try to be very careful to repent when I'm like, that was not God's heart. You know, I am an imperfect father. He is a perfect father because I've seen too many people that that gets really, that gets really murky of, of who their father was and who, how he treated them and, and who God is. And so I'm always trying to separate that. But here, here's the thing, even, even with uh, those, those pastors or leaders that commit sin, the, the thing is that that. What they preached was not untrue and probably not even something that they, they didn't wholeheartedly believe in for the most part. It, it didn't, you know, their, their lack of ability to, to walk in holiness and purity does not negate the message. It, it, it does not negate even probably their own desire to have lived that way. But what it tells us is that it takes great intentionality it takes a great level of purposefulness to live a holy life. It takes this, like you, you better kill sin before it kills you. And if you let it have an inch, it will just demand more. It's never, it's never, it never has enough. It's, it's an insatiable kind of spirit that just wants all of you. And, and so if you think like, well, if I just do this, it's not that much, uh, th don't be deceived because it'll just come asking again for a little bit more and a little bit more because it won't be satisfied until it has all of you. And so it's, a, it's an intentional daily battle that we must fight if we're going to look like Jesus. And that is our heart. Man, that is our heart as a church is that, that, we, would, that we would look like him. Not, not, not be proud of the fact that at Antioch, you know, we're called Christians, but no, like at Antioch, we wanna look, we wanna look like him because if we look like him, we believe that people will be drawn to him and, and come to know him for who he really is. And so that, 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 that's, that's, that's what it is and that, that's gotta be our aim. And, and yet what is very clear is that there is, a, you know, and Adam talked about this a few weeks ago, there is a, a, a prince of this world. There is a, a ruler of the air of this world. There, there is the devil who is out uh, to deceive. He, he's out to, to, to steal and, uh, and wants to, to us to stumble and fall, right? And so, so we know there's a battle here. We know, we know, and you know that, you know, whatever your viewpoint on spiritual warfare is, you know that it's a battle to walk in holiness, purity, and righteousness because of the, the world around us. And so there, there's an, an intentionality, it's, it's not easy. And, and we cannot do it if it's something that we just kind of decide to do. Like, I'm just, I'm gonna decide this time, I'm really gonna do it. You know, even if it's the 30th time that you've said that, it's like, no, this time, I'm not gonna fall into that trap again. You know, and, and, and there is a journey on that and there is grace from God on that. But what we have to do is allow it, it to work from the inside out. It does not work when we just try to put something on from the outside and, and kind of push our way through. We've got to allow the, the, the truth of the gospel, uh, the life of the spirit of God to, to increase in us to the point where it, it's just, it's overflowing. Like who I am, within and what God has done in my heart is becomes a reality in how I act and, and what I do so much so that the things that used to be appealing of this world, some of the things that used to be a temptation for me, I'm all of a sudden one day, and it's not all of a sudden one day, it's a process, but, but I, I recognize one day and I look back like, wow, I don't want that thing anymore. That has no allure for, for me. Like that, I, that, that used to be a thing that I, I just, I, I coveted or I, I woke up thinking about it and it was this battle, but, but, uh, but, but he's setting me free. 
but there, there's intentionality there and there's something that happens from the inside out. And so for me, uh, this is a Titus 3 moment. And I just have these every once in a while where I just need to read over us Titus, out of Titus chapter three and, and remind us of where, where we've come from and, and where we are and, and why we never wanna go back. Okay, why, why that, that sin and that stuff? It's like, why, why? No, we wanna go forward in what is good and righteous and holy and pure. So let me just read this over us out of Titus 3, uh, beginning in, in verse three. At one time, we too, that's all of us in here, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This, that sounds miserable. Does it not like just being, being enslaved by things that you know are detrimental to you, no, the, the, by things that you know are hurting your family, the no things that are, are grieving God, just enslaved by these things, but living in disobedience, living in malice and envying what others have hating one another, jockeying for position, striving. It's just like, oh, it's, it's nasty. And this is what we used to live in. But verse four says, when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want to stress to th these things to you so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. There, there is such a drastic difference from darkness and light. And yet so often and too often in this world, we're, we're, we kind of, we, we blend them together and we live in this gray area. And it's like, wait, why would I even wanna get close to that? You know, that old classic example of like, uh, well, how far is too far? It's like, man, that's the wrong question. Why do you wanna get as close to the line of sin as you can? Don't you remember what it's like? You know, it's like, don't you wanna know where it is just so you can run the opposite direction towards life and freedom and life? And so it, when, when we realize that, like, yes, God, thank you for saving me and setting me free. I don't want anything to do with that. And for those of you that grew up in the church and you've never experienced some of those things, I think some of the lie of the enemy can say, like, it, you just kind of continually tempt you with those things. Like, you never did that like your friends who have that cool testimony, but they got to experience it. You never got to experience it. I believe there's lies like that of the enemy that want to steal, kill, and destroy even further down the road if you don't deal with it now. Maybe even some of those pastors and leaders that we're talking about, like, well, I never really, and, and now, now the, the sin has just been crouching at their door and waiting and waiting. You need to deal with it now and not letting those kind of thoughts or ideas that you're somehow missing out on something because you are not missing out on anything except for destruction, death, regret, shame, and pain. Okay, and so there's just this, this place of like a freedom that he's in, inviting us into. All the while, it's just like we get to look like him and, and, and we're motivated from the inside out because the, the, the world is, is longing for it. They're absolutely longing to, to step out of enslavement and deception and malice and envy and hating and being hated into a, a place where the kindness, the kindness and the love of God is displayed to them. Such a drastic difference. But that's who God is. And, and that's how I wanna finish up with, with one final thought here. And, and that's um, just, again, we're gonna have to skip a little bit. Um, but down to the very end of, of this passage, it says in verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So we have um, generosity. And we sang the song this morning. It wasn't really fully planned in, in, in that way, but it worked out well when we realized that's what we were both doing. And so, uh, man, it's so true. The, the generosity of God 
is ridiculous. Even as you think about uh, world history and, and any of the gods that have ever been served by any society or culture, the idea of them being generous is a foreign concept. No, it was, it was all about uh, them and what they could get and how, how, how humanity had to, uh, to, to cut themselves or do whatever this kind of stuff to, to please them or try to satisfy, but never was a, a, a God known for the, their generosity giving up themselves that we might have life, uh, coming to us in our own disobedience and enslavement and demonstrating kindness and love and offering it to us. The, the generosity in the heart of God is overwhelming. And, and, it, and it, it connects well with just being Jesus to others because when we're able to, to show generosity in the same way that it is, it is a foreign concept to think about the gods that have been served throughout human history and think about them as being generous uh, and benevolent and kind like our God is, is, a, is foreign. In the same way, the, the concept of, of generosity and kind of a ridiculous generosity, if we come alongside and we, we, we meet needs and we, and we trust God uh, to give us what we need, needs that we can give to others is a foreign concept that, uh, that all of a sudden people say, wait, what, what is that? What, what is this? Why would you do that? And so we wanna operate in that level of generosity and I wanna encourage us in that by reading, um, by reading from Luke chapter, Luke chapter 12 and we're gonna kind of finish up here just with this thought of generosity. And, and as we read this, there's a, there's a mindset switch there's a place of practical obedience uh, and, and a place that is reflected in our heart. So it says this in Luke chapter 12, um, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And, and I feel like God is highlighting this particular passage this morning to finish up with because we are in a season where there are plenty of things to worry about. It feels like there's just a lingering worry. And now with the inflation and you know, our, maybe some of your, your, your jobs have not caught up with paying you for inflation, you're feeling it. And there's more worry about things in the world around us that there, this, this is a, a good message from the, from the mouth of Jesus uh, saying, hey, don't worry. It's not saying, hey, there's nothing to worry about. He's saying, don't worry in the midst of the, what you have to worry about. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You have little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it for the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. So there's a mindset that I believe God has wanted to give us. It's a place of worship. It's a, it's a place of declaring that God is able, that he is my provider, that he is the one that makes a way and me worrying and striving and trying to work things out or manipulate the situations is, is not, not going to help. And so I wanna become worry-free out of a place of declaring how able he is, how trustworthy he is. Jesus continues on and this moves to a place of practical obedience. The, the first part is like this mindset of not worrying. And, he, and, and then he goes on in verse 31 and says, but instead seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, don't give in to fear, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And this is where I think we still have to grow in our understanding of the kingdom of God. 
because he's juxtaposing something here. Like we're worrying about all the little things in our kingdom and in our daily lives and, and getting worried about it. He's like, don't forget that the, the father has been pleased to give you his kingdom, his kingdom that, that knows no end. That, that rules over all kingdoms. And he's given you this kingdom. And yet we're worried about what's happening in our, our little kingdom that will pass away. He's saying, you've been given the kingdom. Don't worry about such things. Dwell in, in his kingdom, provide. And, and he says, actually, just you can sell your possessions, give those to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And it closes with the heart, just the, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That, that what you're treasuring, where you're giving your time, your energy, your resources, it, it, that, that, that leads your heart. We wanna lead our hearts well by, by being generous. Second Corinthians nine says this, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. We're encouraged to be generous on every occasion. And we're told here in 2 Corinthians 9 that it is the generosity that actually, uh, it, it, it overflows in many expressions of thanks to God. So when we're generous, other people give thanks to God. So it's an opportunity for us to minister to those around us, for us to direct people to God is our generosity. Not that it doesn't bring attention to us, but a, a type of generosity that brings attention to God. And it accompanies that obedience in being generous. It accompanies our confession of the gospel. And so I wanna pray that over us, that we would be imitators of Christ. And specifically today, thinking about being imitators of Christ through a, a hungering and thirsting after righteousness and looking for opportunities to be generous, not to worry, but to be generous and in that uh, declaring our trust in our God who provides. So Father God, I pray today that there would be a, a new zeal for righteousness. God, I pray today that um, we would allow you to uncover things that we've, we've, we've wanted to remain hidden allow you to turn, turn some things over in, in our lives where we, we've, 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 we've wanted to keep things in, in the darkness. And that today by your grace, there would be a courage to bring them into the light because we would say no more. Is, is the enemy gonna have this stronghold? Be able to whisper these lies to me, but rather today I wanna be intentional about getting, getting set free. And I wanna say no to, to, to worry and to shame, to guilt, and yes to Jesus. Lord, we wanna be a people that reflect your generosity. So once you come today, lead us and move us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand up with me. And we're gonna just close with a time of response. And our ministry team is gonna be down here at the front. If you need prayer for anything, I wanna encourage you to come forward. And specifically, uh, if, if, you have, uh, if, if you've been worrying about things in your life, honestly, if I could say it with this level of strength, you have no excuse walking out of this place with that same worry uh, because there, there's people that wanna get in your boat and pray with you. Doesn't mean it won't still struggle with it or come to your mind, but there's no excuse not to get prayer today, to come and just say, I, I, need, I need prayer. And others of you might just being stirred, like I wanna be an imitator of Christ. I wanna say no to sin. And so if there's sin that you're struggling with, we'd love to pray for you. If you just wanna make that confession and just say, God, I wanna worship you in that way, the front is open for you to come and just get on your knees before God. But let's not leave this place without responding to Him.